Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, church family. My name is Donnie, and I'll be reading Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 through 12. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This, is also, this also is vanity and is striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, and it is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? These are God's words. Thanks, Donnie. All right, you guys can clap louder than that, man. You know, that's God's word, man. You know, don't be timid about God's word, okay? Donnie just brought it, so uh, thank you, Donnie. Appreciate that, man. Um, so yeah, we've been in a six-week series on in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I got to be honest with you, when we, uh, when the campus pastors of CTK got together and said, hey, let's spend 12 weeks in Ecclesiastes, I was like, I don't think I'll have a church by the end of it, man. I mean, people are going to be so down. Um, but it has actually been really inspiring and life-giving. And I was thinking about this week why it's such an inspiring book, why it's such a life-giving book. And what I love about Ecclesiastes is that it actually invites you to consider where you're going in life. It actually invites you to consider what you're pursuing and, and, and look at where all these roads lead you in life. It doesn't come like a lot of scripture makes things very black and white. Ecclesiastes kind of navigates the gray of life, those gray areas of life. And I, so I've just really come to appreciate this book. I've really come to love this book. I've never studied it as intently as I have over these last few weeks, but um, wh- I, just, I just think it's a great book. And kind of the conclusion that we reach in Ecclesiastes is, you know, if you, if you pursue anything— outside of God, it all leads to the same place, and it all leads to the sad place of death without meaning. 
is what it is what it says that if you pursue life without God, the end result of whatever you're pursuing is death without meaning. It's just the the Hebrew word is hevel. It's vanity, a dis- disappearing vapor. And so I think Ecclesiastes is just perfect for our time and our place. I think people are chasing after the wind everywhere. And, um, you know, there was a time where, you know, God and the church had maybe more moral authority, more pull in culture. And it's not really the case anymore. There were times where Billy Graham could say, hey, I'm coming into town and two million people would show up. You know, but we're not really in those times anymore. And so, you know, there's less of that happening now. And so what I love about Ecclesiastes is it speaks right to where we're at. It says, okay, so you want to pursue life and all these things. Let me journey down that road with you. Let's take a walk down that road and see where these things lead. And they don't lead to a place where we think that they they might lead. And so what it shows us is how to avoid an empty life. No one wants to live an empty life, and so Ecclesiastes speaks right to that. We can have a lot of good things in our life, but at the end of the day, what does it matter if we don't have God? And so what I see in Ecclesiastes is that it shows us our need for greater authority, greater purpose, greater meaning in life. And it doesn't matter really if, you know, you've been in the church for a long time or a short time. You can still be a Christian and pursue all the same things that the world is pursuing. Um, There can be drift in your life. Maybe there was a time where you were excited about Jesus and then just things got busy in your life or all these other things added into your life. And we can get easily get off track. And that's what we see in the life of Solomon. And King Solomon, who wrote this book, who this book is credited to, he started out in his life really passionate for God. In 1 Kings, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offering at the high places. So Solomon, when he was a youth, he was passionate for God. He was excited about God. He, God was his ultimate love. That word in Hebrew means that he loved him dearly. Like he was what he desired above anything else. And so Solomon, when he started out, was passionate for God. And God gave him the throne of the kingdom of Israel. And Solomon felt the weight of that. And so when God said, hey, you can ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it, he asked for wisdom. Because he's like, I need wisdom if I'm going to lead your people. Like he felt the weight of responsibility. And so he asks God wisely for wisdom. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern your great people. So he didn't start out selfish, focused on himself, uh, but he was focused on stewarding what God gave him really, really well. He's like, God, you gave me this assignment. I want to do it the best I absolutely can. And so his, his focus in initially was not on self. That came later. Ecclesiastes is written at the end of his life. And so because he asked for wisdom, God blessed him. He blessed him with wealth, riches, power, fame. He gave him all the things that he didn't ask for because he was wise. But then as we read along, we see that there's a slide in Solomon's life. You know, Solomon started out well, but as he grew older, his heart grew colder to God. As he, uh, that rhymes, you know, a little, a little rhyme. Um, but as he grew older, his heart grew colder. His love grew cold. His desires shifted. 
Um, it says in 1 Kings 11, and it'll be up on the screen. This is the NIV. It says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow, I, I, I really think this, this one is important. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. He did not follow the Lord completely. Um, he, Solomon got distracted. Other things started to inch their way into his life. We know that Solomon married 700 wives, you know, and they came from all sorts of different regions. And after a while, um, what they loved became what he loved. And, and Id idolatry began to take over his heart. And so at the end of the day, he did not follow the Lord completely. And so his desire, you know, it, it, it was split. It was split, and, and uh, he tried to combine what he believed about God with everything else. You could call it syncretism, where you try to combine all these different things and create your own reality. Uh, and in that, he lost his relationship with God, uh, and he ends up in this place where we come to Ecclesiastes 6, where he's really discontent and really dissatisfied with the way his life has ended up. And I don't know, maybe you can relate to something like that to some degree this morning. Maybe that you started out really passionate about God and then life, the weight of life just, just clung to you. And, and it kind of like, you know, once you felt alive and now it's really hard to get excited about God. You know, a lot of people experience sort of a plateau or a drift or maybe even their love for God kind of vanishes over time. And it's true that our desire for God can drift, even if we're doing good things. I mean, God said to the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2, he said, you know, you're doing good things, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. God's like, those good things are good, but what I really want is your heart. I really want your love. Like that, you know, like the fact that you serve is great, but what's really important is that you love me, like that there's a love relationship there. And so God calls them, hey, repent. Go back to the works that you did at first. And so Solomon's drift, it ends up in this place of idol worship. It leads him to this broken relationship with God where he's ultimately discontent, dissatisfied. You could call him miserable. Like he's a miserable, old, rich guy. And Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes that, it, starting in the chapter, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, it is a grievous evil. And this morning, this is the message of Solomon's life. I want to start here this morning. Uh, when our desires turn away from God, we'll always end up discontent. When our desires turn away from God, when we lose our love for God, that's when, our, that's when we end up discontent. You know, uh, there's a lot of people out there who've gotten everything that they've wanted in life, and yet it wasn't enough. 
I mean, if you study the lives of celebrities, like they're not all peaches and cream, you know? They're not all awesome. Um, in our alpha class, we read this quote from Jim Carrey um, that said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. You know, like it doesn't improve life. Um, you know, we're shocked when, you know, like, celebrities commit suicide, right? People who, like, like Anthony Bourdain, for instance, you know, traveling around, food, whatever he wants, but he's still, you know, there's still something missing in his life. And I think to some degree, we all wrestle with our own discontentment. You know, we all wrestle with our own discontentment. We have these desires that if we, if we leave them unchecked, if we don't check our heart, then it can ruin us. Um, because getting everything we want doesn't actually fix us. Our desires don't actually lead us to a place of contentment. It just amplifies whatever's in our heart. And so for Solomon, it leads him down away from the Lord and into this path of misery. And so we all come in, I'm sure we all come in, and there's some discontentment in our hearts. There's some kind of discontentment in our lives. And, you know, maybe you could describe it as the if-onlys, Right? Like, if only this was different in my life, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be complete. You know, if only I had more money, then I'd be more free to, to be happy. I could take better care of my kids. Uh, I could be more free to give. Uh, if only I had that special someone in my life, then my life would be complete. Um, if only I didn't have that special someone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> if, if only... <laughs> if only my spouse were different, you know, like everything would be great. Um, you know, there's something in us that says, if only, you know, what is that hill that we're just always trying to get? And I think Ecclesiastes 6 really gets, gets at that. You know, is there something at your life that you blame for your discontentment? Think about that this morning. Is there something in your life that you blame for your discontentment? Is it your bank account? your spouse, your ex, your kids, your job, your health. As we consider this frustrating life of King Solomon, I want to challenge you on this. What if your discontentment isn't a problem with your circumstances, but it's a problem with your desires, what you want? Because this is what we learn from Solomon here, is that chasing our desires is a dead end. Chasing our desires is a dead end. It doesn't actually make our heart content. And we see Solomon in Ecclesiastes 6 give three reasons why. And we'll just read them out and then I'll explain each one of them. But the three reasons why our desires lead us to a dead end is that we never have enough time to enjoy what we have. We're always changing what we want. And we have no authority we can trust. That's what we learn from Ecclesiastes 6, that we never have enough time to enjoy what we have. We are always changing what we want, and we have no authority we can trust. So the first one, we ha never have enough time to enjoy what we have. Here at the end of his life, Solomon is just filled with anxiety. Like, man, I built this whole thing up for me, and now I have to let it go to someone who doesn't deserve it. He's just, he's almost like, he's too focused on it. He's no good to anybody because he's so nervous and anxious about losing everything, right? Like, you might read Psalm and be like, dude, come on, man, just like get over it. But he's so focused on losing his life, losing what he has, leaving what he's built to somebody else. Um, he's, 
you know, there's uh, the biggest issue for Solomon is that he's gained everything he possibly could, but he still doesn't have peace. Like, he still doesn't have peace. He's paralyzed by fear. You know, he's, he's, not, he's no good to anybody or anybody else. He's not thinking, how can I serve people? He's just like, uh, I got to keep all my stuff. You know, and in the message, you know, he compares it to this, um, to the, the life of a stillborn child. And he says, you know, a stillborn child, he's, he hasn't seen the sun. He doesn't know anything. Yet he has rest and I don't. You know, and he's saying, man, that, he's, in a, he's ultimately in a better place because my heart is in turmoil. I'm not in peace. And ultimately, I think what Ecclesiastes shows us is that a life without God is a life without peace. If you're not in security in a relationship with God, then the only other option is to try to create that security for yourself. Like, try to figure it out, and if I get all the pieces right, maybe I'll have peace. Um, but it's fleeting, it, it, it doesn't there. So you just live day to day in uncertainty, you know? And, and basically, without God, we can't live a life of peace. Uh, you know, our life without God, it forces us into working and striving to build up that security that can't be found. Um, Solomon said earlier in his life, in Proverbs 17, he said, Better is a dry morsel, a little piece of food, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is a dry morsel, uh, rice checks, you know, I don't know <laughs> what it was, but better is a dry morsel with quiet, with peace, than a house full of feasting with strife. You know, he's saying that peace in your heart is more important than riches that create anxiety. Being satisfied with a simpler life that's more flexible is better than wearing yourself out to gain what the world has to offer. And so just as a practical question, like, are you willing to live a simpler life in order to have peace? I think following Jesus, it invites us to make life more simple so we can make life more about following him. Solomon saying, man, I've missed it. Peace is in the simple. Peace is in the simple. It, I shouldn't have spent all this time trying to stress myself out to get what I want. I should have just enjoyed what was in front of me at the time. You know, it's when we chase all those changing human desires that it leads us astray. And so I believe that if, if we want to have peace with God, then he, he will lead us to live more simply. Like God is in the quiet. He's in that. He wants to lead us to a place of peace and contentment. And that involves living more simply. And so that could mean practically living under your means, not living above them. It could mean consuming less so that you can give more to other people, more to neighbors. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I have a neighbor who I could talk to all day, but I'm all, I feel like, you know, they call them yo-yos, right? You're always in and out of the house, you know? Like, what if, you know, and what if we carve more time to be available for God and our neighbors? And so I have to think, like, okay, I just need to make time. I need to slow down. The wealth that Solomon amassed, it actually led him out of peace, out of alignment with God. It, it, it ruined him. And so the other thing that chasing our desires does, why it's a dead end, is because it always, we're always changing what we want. That's the other thing. We chase desires until our desires change. And then we chase those desires. We're always changing what we want. Uh, Solomon makes another comparison in verse 9. He says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. 
he says, man, you should just enjoy what you have instead of chasing what you don't, instead of always longing for what you don't. You know, we, um, we are ridiculous, okay? Humans are ridiculous because we're always changing what we want. As soon as we get something, we're on to something else. Um, and we're always seeing things that make us long for something else. Like, oh man, if I only had that, if only I was living that life. We're comparing ourselves to other people. Like my, my little brother, um, he, he got this awesome job as a web developer and he travels all over the world. You know, and, um, you know, this year he's been to Tokyo, Budapest, Ireland, Berlin, and, you know, and I remember when he got this job, I had to check my heart because I, I like traveling. Like, I like adventure. I like that kind of stuff. And this is my little brother, okay? Uh, but, you know, it was like, no, I, I'm not going to allow myself to compare and be like, oh, man, I wish I was living that life because God has me here. I know where God's called me, and it's this town called Blaine, Washington. You may have heard of it. <laughs> And he's called me to be present here. And so, you know, like, God bless my brother that he gets that opportunity. But it's those sort of things. We look at people in our lives and we're like, man, if only I had that. If only I could do that. And creates discontentment. Because our human desires, they really are what Solomon describes. They're wandering appetites. Yeah, I kind of like that, but now I kind of like this. You know, it's just, we can't, we can never settle. It's like, you know, you ever try to you ever try to watch TV and you don't know what to watch and you spend two hours just like flipping through, right? You're never satisfied, you know. Um, praise God for Netflix, you know. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, we have these wandering appetites, and so we chase these desires, but they're a dead end because they always change. They're always changing, and so here's how Solomon concludes. He says this, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So his conclusion on life under the sun is that if, um, if, if life is simply just living for the world and all it has to offer you, then who knows what's best? Who knows? You know, if, if God isn't in the picture, who knows what's best? Who can call the shots? Who knows what's good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? Who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? There's no authority. You know, there's no one to say, yeah, this is worth living for. And basically the point is without God, no one can tell you what a good life is. Like if God is not in the picture, if there's no authority that you trust in the picture, then there's no roadmap to what a good life looks like. And uh, there's a, a, a NYU professor, American philosopher named Thomas Nagel, and he wrote this book on the meaning of life. He's not a, a Christian guy or anything like that, but he took this to the the extent, like meaning, the meaningless of life to, um, he just kind of like played it out. He said, you know, even if you produce a great work of literature that will continue to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all trace of your effort will vanish. It wouldn't matter if you had never existed or if you, or after you've gone out of existence, it wouldn't matter that you did exist. If one's life is supposed to have a point of something larger, it's always possible to ask, what's the point of that? So I don't know if you caught that, but he's saying like, ultimately, 
like without a greater story, without a greater purpose, life is meaningless. Like we're all going to like, you know, like the, or the universe will cool down. I'm not a scientist, but everything is going away at some point. So who cares how you live? People come and go, ideas come and go, uh, cultures come and go, you know, everything comes and goes. And, and all the wisdom that we see in the world is just stuff that we can observe, you know. It's just, there's no authority to it. It's just one person's word against someone else's word. And so it's hard to live life that way. It's hard to live life when things aren't defined, when we don't know what the target is. You know, when we can't define what's justice, what's injustice. You know, when there's no road map other than, you know, the way some people think versus the way other people think uh, to show us how to live. And basically the Bible teaches that apart from God, uh, we're slaves to our desires. We just do whatever we want to do, whatever our desires tell us to do. And so we end up fighting addictions, fighting selfishness, fighting sexual temptation, um, struggling with insecurity. You know, without, um, without intervention, we're just a slave to our desires. That's what Scripture teaches. So the question to ask is, is there a better way? Is there a better way? No? Okay, I'll go home. Um, of course there's a better way. Of course there is a better way. And this is what you need to know. This is what we need to hang on to, is that chasing Jesus changes our desires. When we chase Jesus, he changes, he sets us free. Um, you need to know that there's a spiritual struggle going on inside of you, in your soul. You face it every day. Um, what God wants versus uh, what your human desires are. And you need Jesus to set you free from unhealthy, self-focused desires and make you alive to him in this whole new focus. And I want to read Ephesians 4 this morning, uh, 17 through 24, out of the NLT, um, because it explains this struggle so well. It says this, um, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And here's the change. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, so Paul here is saying, man, without God, we're hopelessly confused. Uh, without God, we're living in darkness. We're just doing whatever we want. He said, don't close your mind. Don't harden your heart like so many people are doing, but throw those things off. He says, rest in the Lord's authority. And what does he say? He says, to throw off those old desires, the, the image is like a jacket, like we'd throw off an old tattered jacket and just like leave it on the ground. And I don't know how many times you have that jacket just kind of finds itself on and you need to throw it off, but just do it as many times as you need to, you know? Um, but yeah, he's saying throw off that jacket. You know, our self-focused desires um, have us living this kind of meaningless life. And what is, you know, I think what's amazing is the verb in this statement. The verb strive more, it's let. Let. Let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let is really, really passive. It's like, hey, the spirit wants to do this work in you, 
if you'll just let him, you know, if you just let the spirit work in you, if you just give him time, he will change your desires. He will change your heart. Let him put that new desire, uh, the new desires, the, the, the clothes of God on you. Allow the Holy Spirit to change your heart. Because when you give your ways to God, he supernaturally changes you. We don't change outside of the power of God. Like if we believe in the power of God, we don't change outside of the power of God partnering with us, changing us from the inside out. It's not about striving and, oh man, I just, I just got to put in all the effort. It's just the word is let. Let, trust, believe, hope. It's more about your, the posture of your heart than the work that you do that leads to change. You know, I know people, um, including my own dad, that when they submitted their lives to God, he actually, like, removed desires that they were struggling with. Um, my dad uh, found Jesus early in his 20s. He was part of, like, the 1970s drug culture, um, you know, and uh, he, he, tried, he said he tried everything except shooting things into his vein. That's where he, you know, drew the limit. But he was dabbling in all of that stuff. And when he found Jesus, it's like his desire for that stuff just went away. And, and I know that that's not everyone's experience, but the Holy Spirit, don't doubt what the Holy Spirit can do in your life if you just let him, if you just let him change you. Like the Holy Spirit can do it. Uh, you're not without hope. The Holy Spirit is always forever your hope. Don't doubt that the Holy Spirit has the power to change you inside and out. And so if you want to change your desires, if you're struggling with that, it's not about striving. It's really about surrendering. It's really about submitting, just like, God, change me. You know, we can't strive. We can't change without, uh, without the Holy Spirit. Um, Bill uh, Hole put it this way. He said, following Jesus in your own strength is not actually following Jesus. It's a work of the flesh. Following Jesus happens only and always through the Holy Spirit. We got to partner with God in following him. Like he gives us the power to do things we had no idea we could do. You know, but if we go without God, we don't have that power. So it really is, the starting point is trust. It's trust. Do you trust him? Will you let him? Will you let him work on your heart? So I don't have an action step for you this week other than just trust. Other than just trust that the Holy Spirit can change your life. That Jesus wants to change your life. That Jesus has your good at heart. And that he wants to lead you to be a complete person in him. You know, like himself. That's what Jesus wants. And so put on your new nature. Let Jesus change your desires. Let Jesus be your contentment through the Holy Spirit. Allow him to change your desire, not for all the things in the world, but to be close to him. Intimacy with God. You know, earlier on, it talked about Solomon's father, David, right? Solomon's father, David, followed God. He, he wasn't a perfect guy, right? He did a lot of things that weren't good. But, but his desire, his heart was totally for the Lord. And he wrote the 23rd Psalm, which a lot of you might know, but this describes the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. But this was David, Solomon's dad's approach to God. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Like, I shall not be discontent. I shall, I'm not going to envy. I, I'm, I'm not going to want because God is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Where does Jesus want to lead you? To strife? No. He wants to lead you down in green pastures, by still waters. He wants to restore your soul. He's not looking for you to be frantic for him instead of frantic for the world. He's looking for you to have peace in your heart. And through that, change the world. When, when you bear the fruit of walking with Jesus, like, you don't have to strive. Like, people want that, you know? People want to be close to, to you because they want to be close to God. Is the Lord your shepherd? You know, are you wanting, striving, or are you connected enough to him to let that go? Has he led you to a place of peace, green pastures, still waters, is he restoring your soul, or do you want to cry out to him today to ask him to begin that work of restoring your soul, of becoming the person that he's always intended you to be? Because as we walk with him, that's when he changes our heart. He leads us to a place of connection with him. It's not about changing your activity as much as just changing your heart. What do you love? Because from what you love, that flows what you do. It's not what you do and then what you love, it's what you love changes everything what you do. It's like the, you talk about the treasure hidden in the field. Like if you love that treasure, you're going you're gonna to get it. You're going to seek after it. You're going to put all your energy into it. And so God doesn't want us to just like start working hard for him. He wants a changed heart. He wants to work on our hearts. But are we willing to give him our hearts this morning? Because I believe that if we give God our hearts, if we make him our Lord, if we accept his authority, then he's just going to use that. He's going to do all the transforming work in our community and in Blaine and everywhere, but it starts right here. You know, don't look for external transformation until you deal with internal transformation. And that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants to transform our hearts, and then the result of that will be transformation out there. So if you choose to chase Jesus, allow the Spirit this morning to change your desires, change your heart, because there you will find the real and lasting contentment that you've always been looking for. Let's pray. God, I, I just come before you this morning. We come before you, Lord, wanting to experience transformation. No one here has life with you figured out. No one here has all the answers. Only you do, God. You have the answer uh, for uh, life and purpose, but also for our situation right now. Whatever we're dealing with, whatever barriers, obstacles, storms, um, hurt we're dealing with, you have the answer. And so, God, I pray that you would clear a path in our hearts Lord, I pray that you would clear our minds and change our desires this morning, God. May we uh, reach out to you. May we reach out open-handed. Would you take our lives, God, transform us into something new. We want to follow you completely. So, Lord, I pray that if there's something we're holding on to, God, that you would give us the strength to let that go. God, if there's something that we're serving outside of you, that you would just reveal that to us, God that you would give us the strength we need to to change. God, that you would give us peace. I pray for peace in this room this morning. I pray for peace in the hearts 
of your children this morning, God. Lord, I pray that whatever the obstacle, whatever the barrier is, God, that we could release that to you so that we could experience the peace of following you, God. Lead us, God, to green pastures, quiet waters, God. Lead us in the paths of righteousness, God. Transform our hearts, Lord. We love you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.